Hello guys, welcome back to the Inspire podcast, the podcast dedicated to bring you some of the latest research by both students and academics in the field of medicine, dentistry and veterinary medicine, in a language everyone can understand. If you want to get in touch, please email us at inspirejournalpodcast at gmail.com. You can find our website at www.inspirestudentjournal.co.uk where you can access original research and articles from students or find out about how you can get involved. Anyway, I hope you guys are all well. Host, how are we? How has your week been? Not too bad. I decided to give myself a little bit of a hypothermia this week. I decided to go open open water swimming, right? Okay. Um, Nine degrees. I think the temperature of the water is nine degrees. And I did not have a wetsuit. So I just think that's awful. actually meant to be good for you did you know that I didn't uh so basically but we did it safely okay we weren't absolutely crazy we looked it up and apparently you're meant to be in the water for one one minute per degree so we were in the water for about 10 minutes okay it was a very short swim but it's really really cool it was really good (laughs) and um when you jump in when you jump into the water right your body actually responds as a shot you cannot control your breathing is the craziest thing ever. Like you can try, I try my best, but you actually cannot. Till your body calms down, you're like, oh, okay, this is the new normal. I'm going to be in nine degrees water. (laughs) But like really, really cold water. And then you just become all numb. So then you don't care. And then when you're coming out of the water, you think that'd be like the worst because there's like wind and like temperature and things like that. No, because you're so numb, you don't care. (laughs) It's great. That sounds horrendous. Yeah, that is supposed to be good for you yeah it's it's meant to be I'm not entirely sure but uh it's it's meant to be like kind of like a it's like cold travels like do you know when you do yeah. that as like a um like a treatment not a treatment like rehabilitation after like serious like athletes do that yeah I'm nowhere an athlete but I'll still use it yeah like cryotherapy is actually quite a big thing now as they, yeah, yeah like I know that there's like actual designated like almost like spas where you 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 pay a ridiculous amount of money for like two minutes in this like cubicle where they like freeze you. <laughs> so, yeah, I can. Would you ever get frozen when you die? Well, not when you die, but like just before you die. This is something I've always wondered. It's a bit off topic. I thought about it. I was like, yeah, I'll do that, <laughs> and then wake up like in the future. But then I looked at it. It's so expensive, and people were like, you can just freeze your head, and I was like, why would you just want to freeze your head? Because like oh. you're not, obviously not going to wake up. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> maybe maybe they were thinking of our BCRs and they're like, oh, we'll have a functioning brain so we can just connect it to a computer. <laughs> that would be horrendous. Imagine waking up and being connected to like. I know. Like... I just I, yeah. I don't know. That yeah. Yeah. Be a bit of a shock. I think. Did anybody pick up on the I like internally laughed a little bit when Natasha was like, it was "Yeah, crazy. I saw." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't think. I, I thought, was just busy kind of giggling. I we were just going to go over that. that. The ice over that. If you're... Yeah, no, me too. I, I wanted to make sure that we, we came back to that, that we, didn't, we didn't mess that up. Uh, how's, your, how's your bread making, Sam? Any more breads? I've not, I've not made any no. bread. Actually, I've been <gasps> too busy. Speaking of, speaking of cool, I've been uh, too busy vaccinating over the past oh, week. Oh, look at that. A helper. Uh, I know. I know. Just to explain the, the link between cool, it's because we, we use the yeah. Pfizer vaccine at uh, the centre in Splot. So obviously that's the one that has to be kept very, very chilly in order to for it to work. But 
it's it's surprising how exhausting it is really I, I always say to people it's it's quite an easy job um you know you just jab and chat and jab and chat but it's really tiring i get very very tired from the whole kind of interacting with lots of different people um it become it does become quite draining uh but yeah it's interfered with my Aww. making schedule so Aww. not really been able to I suppose to you do can let you off if you're vaccinated yeah. you're the, you're the master of small yeah. talk then okay yeah exactly <laughs> yeah small talk and explaining vaccines to people and what else what's one thing that I'd have to take away from it do you get given asked um, a lot of questions by hmm. <clears throat> not really most people just want to have a chat <laughs> Really, most people couldn't care less what um it, it could be it could be anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they would just be like, give me some it. human interaction. I've been missing. Go outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six yeah, months. Exactly. Yeah, really. I mean, they they teach us so much about the vaccines that we can explain it to people. But in my experience, nobody really cares what you're doing. They just want to have a chat, and it's it's quite nice, really. At the end of the day, but I would say I've improved my small talk okay. skills. Well, I'm impressed then. And Ellie, anything interesting? Um, anything. I must have done some. I must have done something interesting this week. Your conference. Oh yeah, I did. What conference. Well, you're a really, really cool conference. I did do a cool conference. Yeah. So we organised a. This was completely from scratch, so it didn't exist a month ago. And somehow, in five weeks, we managed to pull together a basically like a careers fair for vets. Because in um, vet school, like you don't really have one, and it's very much like you're either going to be a general practitioner. And I think a lot of people, even outside the veterinary profession, think that vets just you're a GP, like you're a first opinion vet, and that's what you do. Mm. Um, but we wanted to make it clear that that's absolutely like that's not it. That's not even scraping the surface of what you do. Like you could be a specialist, you could do internships, residencies, you can work in hospitals, you can go into research, like pure research, the army, like government work, um, all of these like other careers, conservation and everything. So we wanted to just like bring that together and really stress that vet degree is great. So anyone out there who's a vet, you can do loads. That's really cool. <laughs> um, so we wanted to get loads of cool speakers. Um, it was a lot of work. Um, but yeah, it was really successful. We did it across um, four different time zones. So we had people from America, Canada, um, Australia and the UK. So it like it grew to much bigger than I thought it was going to be when we decided that we were going to do this. Wow. So it turned out to be quite a lot. Like it was, it was a very big event and we had lots of people. We got over a thousand people there. Um, so yeah, it, w- it was really, really good. I'm very glad I that's, did it. And I met lots of cool people. That's really impressive. Amazing. That was, thank that you. Like big achievement. Lot, that sounds like a lot of admin. I'm not going to lie. This time last week. That's what I was doing this time last week. Like hosting um, panels. Because also as a host, you have to kind of make sure that everyone's chatting and there's not like going to be an awkward silence and nobody's asking questions um, and that kind of thing. So like sort of moderating and hosting all of these panels and making everyone get involved. But everyone was really keen to get involved. We had lots of questions. It wasn't, um, we weren't stuck for conversation. Sorry, I've just talked about that loads. It was really No, that was, was really fun. interesting. <laughs> I'm glad to have a break now before I start placement next week. Um, I'll be glad to just have like a bit of time. Yeah, I'm currently yeah, just definitely. revising for my exams next week. Well, this next week and the week a bit after. And then I've got to move, like pack because I'm going to North Wales for my next placement. Ah. So I'm going for eight weeks Ooh. to do chronic disease what? two in Wrexham. So that will be fun. <laughs> I've not been, but apparently like, the teaching's really good at the centre I'm going That's to. Good. So I'm actually really looking forward to it. Um, 
and I don't think you can call yourself a Welsh student like if you haven't been to North Wales <laughs> or West Wales <laughs> at some point <laughs> so I think it'll be fun it'll be good do you go with like a team of people like a group yeah so normally like they mix up all the like um like all the placement blocks with like loads of different people which is really cool actually about the course so you get to at least most people have like been with each other once throughout the five years but um because of covid we've all been like allocated bubbles because obviously we stay up there as well so i've been with the same people like for the my first two blocks um of this like academic year okay so like i know them all and they're all really lovely so it's going to be it's going to be good fun i think that's going to be fun. A little holiday. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't really think it's not a holiday. <laughs> not a holiday. <laughs> little trip. <laughs> okay. In this week's episode, we'll be playing a game called Myth Constructors, where we take a clearly false statement and build an evidence-based argument for why it's true. The goal is uh, to demonstrate how even high-quality research can be skewed to support inaccurate claims and hopefully have a few laughs while we're doing it. The phrase that we have decided to uh, build our arguments to support is carrying an acorn in your pocket will make you forever young. So my argument is based off one of the one of the prominent micronutrients or chemicals in acorns is uh, resveratrol. So I'm not sure if any no, of you guys have heard of resveratrol before it's very um it's it's gained quite a lot of traction in sort of health media and stuff like that in recent years um lots of resveratrol in red wine so lots of studies that have claimed that red wine can kind of hold off aging and stuff like that it's normally because of the resveratrol in the red wine so acorns are quite high in resveratrol and what resveratrol does is it inhibits one of the key kind of cellular metabolic uh, pathways. It, it, it inhibits the mammalian target of rapamycin, so mTOR, um, which is a very, a very like intensely researched protein kinase in um, in metabolism, especially in aging research. So it's involved in a couple different protein complexes, but effectively. There's lots of things that mTOR does, but one of the things that it does is it's responsible for protein synthesis, cell growth, and kind of cell uh, replication and things like that. So lots of processes that are involving the proliferation and the growth of cells um, are working via mTOR-dependent pathways. So also it's worth mentioning as well, mTOR is quite a big um, protein target and gene target in cancer as well, because obviously... You know, anything goes wrong with mTOR, you're going to get cells growing um, uncontrollably without programming death properly. So yeah, lots of, basically mTOR is, um, can be a problem, especially in aging. So very important for cell growth up until a certain point. But as we know, as you you get older, your cells kind of start, you you don't start growing as much. You start breaking down tissue a lot more um, and growth that happens is more, uh, more faulty after a certain point. So what resveratrol does is it inhibits mTOR. So it inhibits mTOR from carrying out its proliferative kind of functions. And this has been shown in quite a few studies to have positive impacts on in, in mouse models um, of allowing them to not just live longer, but actually allowing them to live healthier. So it doesn't just kind of extend the, mi- the mouse lifetime, but it also extends the amount of time they spend without disease as well. So without neurodegenerative diseases 
and without cancer and things like that. So it's quite exciting, but it's very, very complicated. Um, and I'm not gonna go into it in too much detail. So the other question then is, well, how will the resveratrol in your pocket get from the acorn yeah, to you? I was gonna ask. So yeah. there have been studies on transdermal applications of resveratrol that have found, in terms of resveratrol inhibiting mTOR, there's quite a few, but the one I picked is Liu et al. Uh, from 2010 in the Journal of Biological Chemistry. Um, but in terms of transdermal resveratrol, uh, Uchida et al. Uh, 2020 actually found that transdermal delivery of small size resver uh, resveratrol nanoparticles through the epidermis um, using phospholipids as a, as a carrier can deliver significant levels of resveratrol to the body. So potentially the resveratrol from the acorn could make it through your skin if you have very <laughs> into your leg and then into your body and you can reap all of the positive benefits of resveratrol and perhaps extend your your lifespan so so that's my my that's silly so argument for, for why this yeah, could be true did um, the mouse in the mouse models sorry um did they yeah feed the mouse resveratrol or did they like inject it and if so how did they how did they administer the resveratrol um and have there been any so, studies with humans so most of the studies with resveratrol have been done in vitro not in vivo so so the, the mouse studies have been done in terms of inhibiting mTOR with numerous other things so for example okay. rapamycin so you know you might know like rapamycin is a very common drug after um transplants to stop organ rejection so um, using rapamycin actually is what they normally do in the, in the mouse studies to extend the mouse's lifespan. But resveratrol has only really been, it's been shown to work on tissue cultures, but it hasn't yet been shown to work okay. in vivo. So it's one of those things that people so the, on um, without necessarily So the working. mouse study didn't look at resveratrol in isolation, it looked at it alongside these other things. Yeah, so so when I was talking about mouse studies, that was not, not the one that I was looking at, that's, that's just general other studies have found that you know inhibiting mTOR can have positive um positive effects on aging right okay yeah sorry that's me oh. <laughs> I think it's quite interesting because like with a lot of the articles that I was looking at um acorns actually have quite a lot of medicinal um uh, sort of implications like properties actually um and actually it it was interesting trying to work out how we were going to define anti-aging in because is it that we're prolonging life by reducing the amount of health conditions that a person could experience or was it actually it was actively preventing anti-aging through you know skin or organ damage in, in general like the natural aging process so I think your, your article is definitely really interesting mine on the other hand when I was thinking um <laughs> anti-aging you know the leading market is obviously the asian like market you know it's huge business and industry so um, i was actually really i found it quite like interesting that um i found an article published in the korean society of food science and nutrition which basically was published in 2013 and it was attempted to measure the antioxidant effect of acorns in um, c elegans which are basically like a, like a nematode. So it's based on like um, free radical theory of aging, which basically expresses that um, oxidative damage um, caused by the presence of radicals in your body or like exposed to your skin, for instance, can um, lead to normal, if not increasing 
the um, normal aging process. So the theory was to see whether the antioxidant processes that acorns supposedly have were able to modulate the aging process in this um, organism. So uh, what they did was they varied the concentrations of acorn powder according to like different um, cu- like cultures, which were then um, the nematodes were like grown in in vitro with. And then they monitored the fertility and survival rate of them. So I think this was the first time that I've ever found an article and um, it wasn't in English and there was no English translation of it either. So the only thing that was in English were the the graph um, captions and like results table captions and the abstract, which was like less than 250 words. <laughs> so there was a lot of interpreting of what was going on. And I had very like limited information. For, but from what I can gather from it, they basically performed the experiment twice with 60 um, nematodes each. And the species of acorn they used was um, Quercus acutissima. And um, the concentrations they used was from zero um, milligrams or polita um, to 50 then 100 500 and then a thousand milligrams polita and then they me- measured the survival time in the various like concentrations and then looked at their response or like their resistance to oxidative stress and calculated the mean value from that and then they also recorded the maximum lifespan of one of the organisms in each of the concentrations um, to see if there was like any lasting effects if there was anything detrimental that happened and I think that they were really astounded by the effects um, in both trials because they found that the mean survival time essentially increased progressively as the acorn concentrations increased. Yeah, wow. it was really actually interesting because the graph, like there was a positive correlation and I didn't expect it to be quite as clear. Um, yeah. So there was um, in the 100 micrograms per litre, there was a survival time of 94 at 94 and a half hours versus the 79 and a half hours in the first experiment alone like with zero acorn concentration so that's a huge that's you know a huge number of hours increase they also found that it extended the the mean lifespan of the organisms by 24 and a half percent um at 500 milligrams of acorn powder like the powder that they used and that the maximum lifespan increased by four days from zero grams of um, per litre of this acorn powder versus 500 grams of uh, milligrams of this acorn powder. But then they, when they repeated that specific like um, life expectancy, they realised that um, this, on the second time there was no difference. They both had like 31, I think it was. So that was quite interesting. Oh. So whether it was to do oh, with what? other factors causing <laughs> like their, um, the original experiment's response to acorn powder they weren't too sure and then they also performed um, a fertile assay and found that the life extension of the acorn didn't affect uh, reproduction rate because apparently I read that um, in larger in larger mammals that have been exposed to you know um, be it various cultures or mediums it can sometimes affect if you're extending the life expectancy of them you can affect their like their fertility essentially or their reproducibility and actually, it was interesting that they didn't find that correlation at all. There was no correlation. Actually, the reproductive rate continued like as normal um, without compromise. So basically, they were able to induce longevity of their life without reducing the reproducibility of it. So I think my argument was like, 
obviously C. elegans aren't humans and there haven't been any sort of human trials of this yet. Um, but with C. elegans, these organisms have similar organs. Yes, very small compared to humans, but um, similar organs that, that found in humans. So the pharynx, the intestines, gonads and collagenous tissue. And so there perhaps is scope for further human exploration on what their effects are, <laughs> um, which is a bit of a stretch, I know. But um, I think their sort of suggestion is like, the potential for this could be that acorn powder is like used to modify food, like fortify food, you know, how that they do with, um, is it beta carotene in certain countries? Um, so yeah i thought that was just quite an interesting take rather than transdermally the route would have to be oral in this case that's really cool that's i love stuff like i thought that. it was just so interesting i just cool. i didn't expect like i mean i yeah. haven't seen the paper but like if you're saying that it was like really positive correlation that's quite surprising yeah like yeah. there was a significant increase in the longevity they you know these organisms did eventually die but i don't know how many they didn't specify how many of them survived that long but if the mean had increased to that point it you know it, it has to be quite a positive thing it does yeah i think it um first of all one like really interesting book that i've read quite recently that talks about some of these um especially like it, you reminded me of it with the fertility thing is a book called Life Descending um, by who's it by by Nick Law um, from UCL, the biochemist. Um, but he he wrote this really fascinating book about kind of the most um, most important kind of stages of development throughout evolution to to get to where we are today. And a really interesting point that he makes is about um, so when you mentioned about like fertility. Uh, Often you can predict the lifespan of an organism by seeing how long it takes to reach sexual maturity. So organisms that take longer to reach sexual maturity tend to live longer. And that's really interesting as well, the way that it interacts with like mTOR and stuff like I was talking about before, um, is that it almost suggests that there's kind of like a two kind of like biochemical phases of your life. You have the proliferative phase up until you reproduce. And then after you've left kind of sexual maturity, then it's kind of a slow degrading process. So the implications of that are quite important, I think, in terms of like when you're young, for example, stimulating growth is extremely important. Like, you know, you want to be replicating things in your body. You want to be getting bigger. You want mm -hmm. to be growing and learning and stuff. But after a certain point, the focus shifts. And it's really interesting as well, thinking about, you know, they, they claim that some, some genes and stuff that help us get to sexual maturity and help us thrive when we're young to be fit and strong and you know compete in sexual selection may actually then detriment us in the long term because once you've reproduced in an evolutionary sense you're of no use anymore it doesn't matter whether you have genes that help you live longer because as yeah. long as you've been able to pass your genes down in natural yeah. selection that's all that matters at that point so the idea that maybe genes that make you very win sexual selection may be detrimental down the road is really interesting and antioxidants and stuff like that have quite well, a like lot a, to do with that um, like a huge market a in general cool commercial idea, as well like globally we have all these vitamin <clears throat> companies trying to prolong you know like promote sexual health you know you have the, the specific women tablets mm. and then the men and the young young children tablets as well and often i think people question whether the actual medicinal 
like properties of it so I think actually thinking mm-hmm. that something's quite natural like an acorn I don't think I'd ever think to oh I'm going to eat an acorn or I'm going to like use it to, but to think that something so natural could have that effect on you is quite it's quite astounding yeah, yeah I am a big yeah. advocate for like plant medicine and things it's something that I'm super super interested in going back to our natural roots isn't a bad thing all the time I think that we should be more open-minded and have a bit more of a multi like cross-disciplinary approach to fighting mm-hmm. these big things and then like having read um about all these plants and things um they talked a lot about antioxidants as well and i think they do have a lot of good properties i think there is some truth in it i think people are quite quick yeah to no dismiss. definitely again to go back to asian cultures their me- use of medicine you know ayurveda medicine it's purely lots of it is on energies but also on the use of different plants to sort of relieve different symptoms like the use of honey that you know they've been doing for years like hundreds of years and you know people do it when you know they have hang like have, or have a sore throat or hangovers they use like orange like vitamin c like drinks you know these are things that they found naturally through plants so i think yeah finding i think it's about a matter of trying to prove to people that there is medicinal value in it i'd, I'd be a i'd be a terrible Jewish boy, if I didn't advocate the uh, benefits <laughs> yeah, of, of chicken soup, yeah. <laughs> very, well, yeah. very important in curing colds and everything. But I did want to just mention as well that when it comes to antioxidants, antioxidants have, I think, become like a big focus. And you know, antioxidants are a big selling point in foods. It's one thing that lots of this research has shown that they're really uh, useful. But it, I think it's also important to to just mention that. While antioxidants do have important properties and they are really important in, in regulating oxidative stress and stuff, they're also your body's endogenous antioxidant production is, is very important mm-hmm. too. And there has been research that actually too much exogenous antioxidants can ruin kind of cell signaling and actually detriment lifespan. So one of the things that antioxidants in your body do, like mopping up reactive oxygen, reactive nitrogen species, is, is very important within the cell. But if you the the research suggests that if you flood your body with external antioxidants your own antioxidant production that happens in response to these reactive reactive um basically reactive like chemical species yeah and free radicals gets worse basically and then if you then come off of them basically antioxidant production acts as a signaling mechanism for autophagy which is something that we're going to get a guest on to talk about but this is what my research at the moment is on you can end up messing up autophagy if and because the, these kind of pathways depend on getting signals and feedback loops coming from antioxidant production so antioxidants are really important and i think you know the oxid- oxidative stress hypothesis both in aging and in neurodegenerative diseases and in cancer and lots of different things um is is really big and it means that people kind of yeah. jump on antioxidants as kind of the, the cure to everything when actually we have to be a bit careful about how we use them because our body produces its own antioxidants as well. What like That's one of the concerns, at least with a Halima study, is um, you know determining what, what is that level. It will depend also on like the bioavailability of whatever antioxidant you yeah. are taking as well. Mm-hmm. Like how well is it actually transferred to different parts of the body? But the other thing as well I'm thinking is uh, what, what was like the, the maximum dose for the for C elegans? Yeah, a thousand milligrams. So, yeah, exactly. so think about it, C elegans, which is a teeny, teeny tiny little nematode. 
we would have to like baste ourselves in acorn powder in order to be receiving kind of the same benefits in terms of the the comparative kind of levels and also it's you know the acorn powder contains all of the all of the substances that are contained within the acorn itself so what are the substances in the i mean resveratrol is an antioxidant as well so it could actually be resveratrol that's doing this and also it would also be dependent on weights i'm assuming yeah. of all these people and actually you know the gender exactly, of yeah maybe that has an effect there's a lot of other mm-hmm. human factors that we they haven't really taken yeah. into consideration um so yeah i think they're all very valid points yeah. right so my paper uh i'll okay so it's acid treated acorn pollen as health functioning food materials for improvement of postmenopausal glucose metabolism mm-hmm. uh march 2020 so quite recent uh and Yes, it's like preventative nutrition and food science are kind of coming back to what we've just kind of been discussing. So this study, their thing was that pollen, so I don't know if it's like specifically acorn pollen, like they use that as because it's acorn or they were using it just because it is a it is a source of pollen. Um, They didn't make that too clear in their study, but Pollen, pollen in general is like a folk remedy for them to like increase stamina, health enhancement, enhancement of immunity, like etc. Um, and especially meant to be like a good food for women's skin. Like it's it's been known um to have some sort of like a relation. Um, and the reason is that it contains like proteins, essential amino acids, and apparently sixteen vitamins. They were then kind of trying to see if there is a benefit of using econ pollen. So they carried out a series of studies to review acid-treated pollen. Uh, so this was kind of obtained by depositing okay. econ pollen in apple vinegar. And it's uh, it's their effort to create like a functional food. So it's something like, you know, you're not carrying an acorn in your pocket. It's something more of like a oral yeah. sort of food that you can actually take. Um, so it was... So the apple vinegar was used like an acid treatment and a proper uh, dilution was possible. So they used, they treated pollen with acid for 30 days. Uh, and then uh, after 30 days of processing, uh, it did not induce any changes or cracks to the surface of the pollen. So that may, so how that it may be inferred is that substances inside pollen needs to be extracted through holes in its surface. So you're going to like a really microscopic level here, um, such as like seven to eight essential amino acids are necessary for growth and maintenance of human health. So to extract those, there needs to be some sort of like holes, some sort of like microscopic right, okay. holes in the pollen surface. Um, and then acetrated pollen solutions contained high quality nitrogen compounds as well, which are believed to be effective oh, wow. for controlling obesity. Yeah, so that was quite surprising. So... Um, it does this by inhibiting the activity of carbohydrates and fat, fat digestive system enzymes. Um, so the effect is it improves basically glucose metab- uh, metabolism after menopause. So that's what they kind of saw. They investigated this kind of hypothesis through <clears throat> analyzing the biomarkers associated with glycolysis and obesity in menopausal activity of rats so they induce menopause in these rats essentially yeah and what it showed was it significantly reduced a decreased activity of g uh, g6as uh g6pa sorry g6pas so that's uh for people who don't know enzyme involved in gluconeogenesis 
um, which is activated after menopause, which is activated after menopause to increase serum glucose levels, which can then lead to obesity. So that's kind of like that link. Yeah, so they showed that essentially in conclusion, they showed that acetreated pollen was effective in kind of restoring this GK activity and it may be used as functional health food material. That's pretty cool. Post-menopausal I guess menopausal. my question is why why yeah. did they have to acid treat it? What what was the purpose of doing so? I think it's because pollen is made of like it's like a hard okay. kind of exine. So like hard surface on the outside mm-hmm. so to actually access. So this is what my this is uh I don't understand all the chemicals and things that they're using in the research is quite complicated. But essentially i think because it has a hard surface right. that they need to first um okay. get through to actually access the stuff inside otherwise you can't really get to all these kind of like amino okay. acids and nutrients and stuff that pollen seems to contain after th- this report states that after 30 days of processing the apple vinegar had a ph of 2.56 which did not induce changes or crack the surface crack to the surface of the pollen so that then says that it can okay. be extracted through holes in the surface. You have to actually make holes in the pollen. Not sorry, I <laughs> seem okay. to have understood it incorrectly. I missed that one line, and then my entire understanding no, no, of the report sense, changed. So they basically <laughs> use the acid to try and make it more permeable to extract what they wanted. So that's why they used acid treatment, and they said that um, they had to do it for at least thirty days. You know, we know that proteins denature. So did did that affect? the, the yeah. actual chemical structures of any of the chemicals present in it yeah um, um, i think so i mean i don't think they really talk too much about uh, yeah fair enough acidic <laughs> effect so what's the implications now now that they've done That's this fine. in postmenopausal rats what's their thinking that then for the future so making it for humans possibly um kind of like it's a it contains apparently 41 different nutrients that are required by humans mm. on a daily basis. So like pollen contains that. And if you can access this, these nutrients, then we can possibly make it into a functional food, sort of a um, what supplement. Particularly looking at postmenopausal women, maybe. Future. What are some of the kind of common concerns of um, taking you know, studies that, show positive effects in rodents for example and then scaling it up to humans like what are some of the common things that we need to be careful of in those situations i mean i think one of the biggest things is they are the same (laughs) they are very they are different we have like i mean rats are commonly used as kind of like one of the stages in clinical trials before it reaches humans and for human trials to take place um but i think just being aware of the fact that they are different they aren't the same and it you need to uh, well yeah i, I think it's, it's I true know, like, there's different anatomy and then physiology that accompanies with any different organism although there may be overlapping similarities the way in which the chemical pathways work are undoubtedly mm-hmm. going to be slightly different to how a human works otherwise they wouldn't be the organism that they are <laughs> exactly. and i think it would be naive for us to be like, well, because it works in this mm. organism, it's going to work for humans. It'll be fine. <laughs> and actually, um, exactly. just because, you know, it worked for postmenopausal rats doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have the same effect on postmenopausal humans. That's something that we think about um, in veterinary when we are prescribing 
um, even like medications and things that are not licensed for one species but licensed for another species and you have to sort of go through the cascade and um, figure out um, like the doses and things and whether the side effects will be the same and there's a lot of things as to whether you're allowed to use um, as the same medication that's effective in one animal in another animal for the same condition and um, so you have to make sure you follow all the steps and things I think it would be something similar like that like scaling it up and I think another another thing to take into account with with on, on rat studies kind of going back to the question that I asked um, is that especially with these kind of oral um, oral administrations of, of acorn uh, one of the differences between rats and humans is stomach acidity mm -hmm. so our stomachs are generally much more acidic than rat stomachs and so things that will make it into the rat's bloodstream may end up being denatured in our stomachs um so you know reasons for that could be um kind of dietary evolutionary kind of uh things like i think we generally have more kind of meat in our diets than than mice tend to because some you know certain drugs are like first metabolism like they go through they have to be metabolized by certain organs be it the liver before that they start taking the effects so whether it the way it's activated in um, an animal versus a human differs could have implication on you know the therapeutic effects of it yeah even 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 yeah, like for example in this case it's this postmenopausal metabolism we don't know if that's the same or exactly the same in terms of rats versus humans mm. so like even that yeah. subpopulation might be different I also think another thing to be be aware of in because you pick like a very like specific you know is focusing on a very specific pathway like metabolic mm. pathway and um a lot of like kind of nutrition research and stuff does this like it will focus on one particular compound what it does to one isolated receptor and then extrapolate from that oh this is a game-changing thing that you need for everything um, and then they'll put a huge hefty price tag on it and try to sell it to people. But at the end of the day, obviously, we have to remember that these things don't happen in a vacuum. It's very complicated, like we were saying before, you know, like one one changing one pathway in your body isn't going to have huge impacts on your holistic health, right? Like you don't know how that pathway necessarily interact, interacts with other pathways you don't know whether that compound only yeah. targets that one pathway as well it could target others so mm -hmm. that's something as well to be um really kind of aware of it's like in a lot of like you know biochemical research they they focus on one specific mechanism and as they should you know that's the point and all of these studies will have caveats that you know say this but it doesn't sometimes stop the media or you know, kind of opportunistic companies latching on to these one bits of evidence and then trying to say that this can, you know, just because this one thing has been shown to reduce, I don't know, say, insulin levels in in a rat in a very specific pathway doesn't mean it's going to have those same impacts when it comes to humans in an actual kind of life mm -hmm. sense. So today we've explored um, the well, before now, unknown area of acorn research that I don't think any of us really expected to be quite as in-depth as it has turned out to be. Um, we found some very interesting uh, evidence that links acorns to everything when it comes to, to aging, antioxidants, all of this kind of stuff. Um, but it's important to also consider 
as kind of an overall message from this episode that most of these kind of most untrue statements have a bit of truth in them. They're grounded in, in some level of truth. But hopefully today we've gone some of the way to highlight how good research can be taken, not necessarily out of context always, but used to, to support conclusions that aren't necessarily fully correct. And we certainly don't endorse going out and eating any raw acorns or vandalizing anybody's acorn trees um, after listening to this episode. If you want to get in touch, please email us at inspirejournalpodcast at gmail.com. We've been Ellie, Sam, Natasha and Talima bringing you another episode of the Inspire podcast. If you want to hear more from us, please like, follow, subscribe, etc. and leave a review. We're really passionate about research and would love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please share with your friends and share this podcast on social media. The Inspire podcast is brought to you by the Inspire Student Journal. To find out more, please visit our website at www.inspirestudentjournal.co.uk. See you next time. We're students and we're all still learning, so we appreciate any comments, feedback or error corrections in relation to the topics discussed. All research presented is correct at the time of recording. Any medical information provided does not constitute official medical advice. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be experiencing. Views expressed in the Inspired Journal podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of the Inspired Student Journal or of the institutions we are attached to.